Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, we're in a series, and I call this series Boys and Girls, and we're in part five of it. I really encourage you to go to the app. Uh, we have an app or, or our website, city-church.net, and, uh, or the app store and download the, the uh, City Church app, Sunshine Coast, and get the podcast of what we've already covered in four parts. Marriage is such a crucial thing. Nowadays, so many marriages are failing, and we're not going to dwell on that, but there are, are answers to uh, having a successful marriage out of the Word of God. God invented the whole thing. And so God has a lot to say uh, about marriage, and so we're going to dive in this morning into an area where it's going to get, uh, I believe, well, it's going to get deep. Uh, this, I can't put it any other way. I looked at this morning's message, and I've, I, I wrestle with every message. It's kind of travailing, kind of a, a, a thing. And, and, and this one here is like, do I go there? Do I touch on some of these scriptures? How far in am I going to go into many of these scriptures that, uh, that really hit some things that are pretty hard? If you don't get a hold of these things, though, you're not going to have a great marriage because the only great marriage is a God marriage. I'll say that again. The only great marriage is a God marriage. Oh, you can be married and happy, but accomplishing nothing for the kingdom of God. At the end, you've got nothing. Because everything, uh, you know, that's not eternal value, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go to heaven. Uh, it doesn't accomplish much on earth except something for yourself. And, and therefore, what we're going to look at this morning has incredible eternal value. If you're not living for eternity, what are you living for? Well, that's a big question. That's just take you, you know, that question should smack you in the face and beat you up to the point where you have to not ignore it, but you have to answer the question. What are you living for if you're not living for eternal values, things of eternity? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at, and I've called this morning's message, I've, uh, I've gone back and forth on titles, but uh, I've called it Tear It Up. Just tear it up. And you're going to go, what are we supposed to tear up? Well, good question. One of the first things I learned going into business and before my ministry life, I, I was pursuing a, a business career, so I, I, I did my uh, university degree in business and accounting. And, and one of the things that, that, that they teach you, the very first things that they teach you if you take a, a beginner's business class is, is that are the different types of business models. So you've got a sole proprietorship where it really depends on you. The business is wrapped around the individual. You own that business. You run that business. Uh, most small businesses are sole proprietorships. And then they have what, what's called another model called uh, a partnership. And a partnership is where you get uh, two or more people together and, and you start a business and perhaps one will put in the money, the other the time, the expertise. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's financial partners and there's, there's different types of partnerships, but it really depends on, on the people that are involved that get together for, uh, for that business to succeed. So a sole Proprietorship uh, depends on, it doesn't exist apart from the owner. A, a partnership exists uh, when two or more people agree uh, uh, to go into business for a profit. Then there's a corporation. A corporation is a legal entity. It's considered to be almost like a person in the eyes of the law and uh, existing separate and apart from its owners. 
So there's a big difference there, and we're not going to go and have a business course this morning, but uh, when sometimes people talk about marriage, they talk about it as if it were a sole proprietorship. Words like, expressions like, oh, it's my marriage, uh, even, even to the exclusion often of their other uh, marriage partner, if you will. They don't, they don't see the, the other person as the main agenda. They see themselves, their happiness, their, their own agenda is on the table. And so they speak as, as if it were a, a sole proprietorship, if it were a business. Others view marriage as a partnership. So two individuals enter into a contractual relationship. In fact, there's prenups and all kinds of things, especially for the rich and famous now, so they don't get burned in case it doesn't work out. We're going to be partners as long as we're happy. Happy. This thing is going to work, but as soon as you don't contribute your part of it, then the contract says, I'm out of here. There's, there's clauses, and it's all got to be negotiated as if it were a, a partnership. And, and others view marriage as a corporate. Uh, they talk about marriage as if it was something separate from the individual. So you're working on some institution. In fact, some people call it an institution. You're working on something like an institution called marriage. There is no such thing called marriage. Marriage are the people or it's nothing. There's nothing, uh, no separate institution called marriage. If you take the people out of it, you don't have a marriage. So uh, the corporate view of a marriage is if it's a legal entity separate from uh, the people uh, only existing in the eyes of the law. That's not really a marriage. But God created marriage to be a covenant relationship where he is the sole proprietor not any one of us individually. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Some of the most challenging, and I say some of them because it's not, they're not alone, uh, most challenging scriptures in the Bible that a lot of people really don't understand until they understand it, not as a sole proprietorship, not as a partnership, not marriage as a corporate entity separate from the, from the people, but, but understanding that, that, that one plus one plus one equals one in God's economy. So if you take God plus man plus woman, you equal one. And I could have called this morning's message one flesh. Because it's not three individuals just running around contending to see who can get the better deal and who can uh, out-happy the other person or manipulate that other person to get their needs met. I don't approach marriage that way, and I don't believe that the Bible does either. There are a lot of books, and there's a lot of research, and it's a lot about you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you want to get your back scratched, man, you got to do something like you know this and this and this, and then she'll scratch your back, and then you'll all be happy, and that's a godly marriage. No, it's not. And so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, starting in verse 21, it says this, Submit one to another, or to one another, out of, and I, I want you to notice that each one of these verses here has God in it. These things don't stand alone. None of this uh, stands alone outside of God. Again, one plus one plus one, God plus man plus woman equals one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow, there he is, right in the middle of this thing called submitting to one another. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, here it is again, as you do to the Lord. 
Big question, how do you submit to the Lord? Because that's the way you're supposed to submit to your husband. Get awfully, awfully quiet in here right now. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Again, this is not standalone, the husband's the head of the wife. End of story, end of verse. No, the husband is the head or the covering of the wife. How? As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. It talks about headship there as coming from the, the whole concept of salvation. I'm, I'm here to save. I'm, I'm here to protect. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. If you're uh, the head of your wife and you're the Savior, you are there to protect her, man. You are there to make sure that nothing uh, bad happens to her. You are uh, the stronger vessel physically, generally speaking, I'm talking. Uh, and, and, and you are there to put the you know, put your arms around here and get your thoughts around her and, and to look after her as Christ does the church. What a wonderful thing that is. And, and, and verse 24, uh, uh, no, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Wow. That is your role, man. That, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Holy is, is a, a word that means set apart, protecting her, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. Verse 27, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Well, in the same way, in the same way, what is the same way? In the same way that, that, the, that the husband is the head of the wife protecting her and keeping her holy and making sure that she stays pure and, and, and all of these things. In the same way, he says here, the husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I see a lot of times people loving themselves a whole lot more than they're loving their wife. I see a lot of times uh, 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 people going on an individual tangent as if the marriage was all about them. I see people all, all, all the time, and I'm talking Christian people, not just secular people, all, all the time uh, in, involved in something called marriage, but it, but it really, it, it's not loving that other person as they love themselves. It's loving themselves and trying to get their own body needs met. In the same way, love your wives as your own body. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body. Just as Christ does, here it is again, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. I find that a lot of times people, they get in trouble, I'm talking about believers now, because they separate themselves from him. As soon as you separate yourself from God, as soon as you separate yourself from Jesus, as soon as you think that you are outside of his body, which is also called the church, as soon as you live an independent life, you are in trouble. 
That's where the trouble starts in marriage. That's where the trouble starts in churches. That's where the trouble starts in your individual life. If you are living independent as an outside of God experience, independent from God's body and the rest of the people or your marriage partner, that's where the trouble starts. We have to get our head around that we are the body of Christ, that we are one flesh if we're married, that we are not independent roving around, but we are codependent on Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, our Savior. We're part of his body. We're not independent believers running around. People all the time, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. What are you then? If you're not part of the church, if you're not part of the body of Christ, then, then what are you? You're some floating appendage out there, I guess. But, you know, you, can't, you cannot even live. My hand, if I cut my hand off and say, go your own way, kind of like uh, the Adams family, I think it was, you know, where the hand was in the box and, da, 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 you know, and, and the, the thing comes out. I think they called it the thing or something like that. Thing, you know, comes out. It's crawling around there. You know, what a creepy thing. There are a lot of creeps around. They're creeping around. They, they kind of come into church services because they want a little bit of worship. They want, they want something, but, but they, they want to be able to get a bit of life somehow back into the independent cutoff hand and then go back out there and live independently from the rest. It doesn't work. You're going to die. You're going to stink. You're going to rot. It's a disgusting kind of a thought. And for this reason, it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Here we go. And the two will become one flesh. Oh, verse 32. This is a profound mystery. I got to say, yeah, definitely a profound mystery. Every, every one of these verses that I've read, like I said, if it doesn't smack you in the head and, and cause you to stop and think, what are you, what, submit? I'm, I'm a wife, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to him? Yeah. Whoa, I'm going to love, I'm going to, what, I'm, he's the head? Are you serious? Uh, what, what are you talking about, Paul? You must be mad. No, not mad. He's just speaking a very profound mystery. But I'm not talking about, but he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, verse 33, that looks like we're off the hook. Verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If you're married, is your marriage separate from God and his church and your thinking? Do you think, my marriage is totally independent of God? Well, no, we pray a little bit together. We seek God, especially in financial crises. If we need a job, we're out of work. We definitely, go, we, we definitely do the God, God thing. Uh, but, if, but if you're married... I want you to ask yourself a pretty, some pretty tough questions this morning. Is your marriage independent from the body of Christ, otherwise known as the church? Do you think of your marriage as independent from all of these people here and others that call upon the name of the Lord and the agenda that God has and something called the Great Commission, the Common Mission? Do you think, oh, my marriage is over here and I attend church and, and, and so whatever goes on in church, you know, I love, I love our church because, you know, we have such great worship and, you know, and we have coffee and tea out in the fall. I just love our church oh, so much. Uh, does your marriage, is it intertwined with the purpose and the mission uh, of the church? Because that's what this, this passage of Scripture here is talking about. And, and uh, 
Are you limiting your responsibility and you've got really something called a contract and not a covenant? Is your marriage a covenant or a contract? Now you think, well, what, what, what is the difference between uh, a covenant and a contract? Look, if you're limiting your responsibility, you've got a contract. That's why I said tear it up. Tear up what? The contract. If you're limiting your losses, you got a contract. That's why partnerships and, you know, businesses usually have a contract there. We're going to limit our losses. A contract is, is an agreement between parties while a covenant is a pledge. A contract is an agreement you can break while a covenant is a perpetual promise. You seal a covenant, you sign a contract. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship while a covenant is something that you must fulfill. In Scripture, the word covenant is so serious that the word covenant literally means to cut, to cut yourself, and, and there is no covenant without the shedding uh, of blood. That's how serious a covenant is taken in Africa and other nations where they, they still cut covenants. They, they, they physically cut their wrist or their, their hands, and they slice it open to, to the point where there's blood. Both parties or however many parties are going into that co covenant, and then they put their hands, their wrists together with the bleeding parts so that the blood uh, mingles together, and they have cut a covenant. It's not an agreement that you can get out of. It is a covenant. It is a blood-ratified covenant. Jesus Christ cut covenant with us. It says we have a new and better covenant, not a contract, but a covenant, and it was caused by the, it was ratified by the shedding of his blood on the cross at Calvary. It's such a thing he's not looking to get out of it, and we're not looking to get out of it. It's sealed, and it's a new and better covenant. In the Old Testament, God cut many covenants. He cut one with Adam, and he cut, cut a covenant with, with, uh, with Moses and Noah, and it goes all the way through. Cut, cutting covenants is something that God does. God is a covenant-keeping God. He means it, and, and, and under a covenant, there's blessings if you keep that covenant, and there's curses if you don't keep the covenant. Do you know, in marriage, if you don't see your marriage as a covenant between you and your partner, some people, you know, flippantly, they say, oh, well, it's just a piece of paper. So we just live together. We don't need to get married because marriage is just a piece of paper. Tear it up, my friend. Tear it up. This is not about a contract. This is not about a legal piece of paper only, although the law does recognize the validity of this. This is about something that is so serious that God is banking his mission on us accomplishing that and not separating that from the mission of his church, from the mission of his body. He is one flesh in this. It is not just you going that way and your marriage partner going that way or the person you're with going that way and God and being independent. One God plus two men plus three women equals one flesh, one mission. That's a covenant and that is serious is business. You see, people are incredibly loyal. This is what I've discovered. People are incredibly loyal to blood. And if you don't believe it, you know, just get around some people in ethnic communities, and we've got some here. If you're blood, man, you're blood. And in fact, they'll talk that way about it. Yeah, so-and-so, you know, they messed up, but they're blood. We're going to deal with it. You know, we're not going to wait for the police to show up and deal with it. When I was in Pakistan walking around, you know, and we held hands, 
uh, with other men. I might add, I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, we're walking down, we're out in the country, and we're, uh, we're going someplace the first time it happened. And, uh, and, and, and the young guy that was my translator named David, uh, David or whatever, he, uh, he grabs my hand. We're walking down the road. I'm like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, we don't do that. Like, but I felt like uh, I, I didn't want to let go. I thought, no, I can't let go because there's something in this. And then all the guys were holding hands. And I thought, wow, okay, this is, diff- this is way different. And, and uh, toward the end of the trip, if David and the other guys didn't hold my hand, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Give me your hand. Like, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It was amazing. And uh, so, you know, they weren't, they weren't like whatever. They, you know, they were totally heterosexual. I was okay with that one. Uh, but, you know, talking with David walking down the road, I said to him, uh, gee, it's dark, and look at all the children running around out here. I said, what if, you know, some creepy dude, some, somebody does something. I said, what, what would happen? He goes, oh, we would deal with it. The uncles would deal with it. Everybody's an uncle. Even if you're not related by blood, you know, everybody's related somehow. But the uncles and the aunties have the, have, have the responsibility as well as the parents to discipline those children. It's not, get your hands off my kid. What are you doing? No, your blood, your blood. Blood has privileges. Blood has rights. Blood uh, has responsibilities. If you're blood, you're blood. If you're a contract and you're not blood, everything changes. The whole game changes. Most churches, I've got to say this, are not blood covenant churches. Most marriages don't respond with a blood covenant view of marriage. They have a contract view of marriage and wonder why it doesn't work. Listen to the fruit of contractual marriage in Australia. In 2017, latest census, there were 112,954 marriages in Australia. In 2017, there were 40,032 divorces. It's about a third The divorce rate has increased by 5.2% in one year from 2016 to 2017. I would have thought it would have been more than that. There's a reason for that. The average marriage lasts 12 years in Australia. So if you've been going more than 12 years, pat yourself in the back. Guys, grab that woman. Give her a big, passionate kiss to say, we are way above average, babe. The most common age of getting a divorce in Australia, and if you're in this age, you just better watch yourself. 45 and a half years for males and 42.9 for females, average age of getting a divorce. What is this? This is the fruit of a contract. This is a contract, not a covenant. This is the view of a contract marriage that's in churches as well. The number of couples living together, and this is the reason that the divorce rate isn't actually way, way higher, the number of couples living together has increased from 16% of couples in 1976 to 80.8% in 2016. What a massive increase. People are tapping out of marriage, and they're opting for living together because, after all, it's just a piece of paper. And that's the mentality, and that's why the the divorce rate isn't even way higher because the number of people busting up 
out of living together marriages is even higher. And, and, and it's not even counted in the divorce rate because they're not technically married. Here's a casualty of all of this, and I believe it's one of the greatest reasons that we got to get it right with, with marriage, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 7. We're not going to go over there, but uh, you can read about it. God hates divorce. Now, if you're divorced, I can say this. God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate you. He loves you intensely. Do you understand that? And God is a God that will let you move on. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not going to send you to hell, uh, but it'll make hell on earth. And so God doesn't like divorce. He hates divorce, but, but because of the hard-heartedness of people, and I believe because of a contract mentality when it comes to marriage, we get into situations. And the casualty of this is 40,202 children were involved in divorces in 2016. That's a lot of kids that are affected by the decisions of mom and dad. I was one of them. I went through three marriages with my dad, two divorces, and uh, quite frankly, my, my childhood was not a happy memory, and, and it was because uh, of divorce and ultimately seeing marriage as more of a contract or a business arrangement to make us both happy than it was a covenant. When you become one with somebody, there are certain rights under a covenant that you give up and responsibilities that you must take up. I want to give you a few of these. Uh, 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 firstly, the rights that you give up when you, this is like good news, isn't it? You guys are so quiet on me here. It's like, rights to give up? You mean I'm going to give, I'm not going to give up my rights? Are you serious? Yeah, pretty, pretty serious about it. I'm pretty serious. You ready for these? I'm only going to give you three of each. There's a lot more. Under a covenant, everything I have is yours. Under a covenant, like, we're, we're one. That's why we made a covenant together. Uh, it's more than just that three-legged race that you do, you know, as a kid at picnics or Boy Scouts or something. Number one, you lay down your right to be number one. No! Yes, you lay down your right to be number. You are no longer numero uno under a covenant. God's always number one, and God's not ever going to be on your list, and neither is your spouse. For a marriage to work, other than God, my spouse has to be my number one. So not my parents, not, not the children, not your job, not your hobbies, and not even you get to be number one if you're in a marriage covenant with that person. The two shall become one flesh. Second thing you do is you lay down your right of ownership. No! Yes. I don't own anything. <laughs> you don't own anything. If you're in a covenant, you don't own anything. I don't own anything separate from that woman sitting on the front row right there. Everything I got, she owns it. Everything. And that means debt, too, if we were in debt. That's, you know, problems. They get the bad bit, too, not just the good bit. But uh, I don't own anything separate from God. I, I hear people all the time, who owns all you? You know, you got a really nice house there. Like, who owns? Oh, God does. God does. Does he really? Does he really? We're going to find out if you're asked to do a dinner party or something. Oh, no, 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 no. God doesn't really own it then, does he? You do, All right. Who owns your car? Oh, God, God blessed me with that 
that seven series BMW, it's an amazing car, the thing practically flies, and glory to God, I just want everybody to know it's not a pride issue, it's just I did it for the glory of God, okay, we got a few kids that need a, need a ride to get to youth, uh, could you do it, because I know you're not working Friday night, oh, no, 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 I don't want to get the seat, you know, youth, are you serious, they're, they're li liable to be having, having candies or, or a soft drink and spill it on my fine Corinthian leather. We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. You see, your possessions belong to God and your spouse, 100%. My time is not my own. It belongs to Gail. My money's not my own. And guess what? My body's not my own. And Gail goes, yeah, that's the best part. Listen to me here. Come on. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've got to read this one for you. 1 Corinthians 7. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Man, come on, guys. Nobody's saying amen to that one. You need to, I don't know. Gosh, you know, I'm, I'm like, I read that. This is so good. Gail needs to hear this. <laughs> you don't have the authority over your body. We're, we're in a covenant, man. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. <laughs> the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. And most women are going, that's not fair. I got the bad end of the deal on that one. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. You see, the key to a great marriage isn't what you get, but what you give. And that's why selfish people, they can't enter into covenant. And, and selfish people that aren't in covenant can't have a Christ-centered Marriage, those, those just don't go. They, they don't go together. And, and it comes back to it. I'm a, uh, I've, I've got next week, and then we're going to finish this series. Uh, and I know you guys are buzzing. Like your brains are, you're about to explode with questions. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but what? Seriously? This is not a license, you know, to go and abuse your wife and beat her up. That's a whole different thing. You do that, you're breaking the covenant, and, you know, she's got every right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick with you if you did that either. This is not about that. This is not about husband abuse and wife abuse. This is about the two becoming one flesh. So when you beat your wife up, if not that anybody here would, uh, but if, you know, if you did that, you're beating your own body up. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? You don't punch yourself in the gut. When you beat up the church, you might as well walk up to Jesus and just punch him fair in the guts. You would never do that. If Jesus was in the room, you wouldn't hurl insults and abuses at him. But people do it concerning the church all the time. And they think it's okay because they have, uh, I'm separate from the church mentality. You are not. You are part of it. You wouldn't beat your own body up. You wouldn't punch Jesus in the stomach. So stop abusing the church. Call in her name. She's his bride. There's a marriage supper called the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelations chapter 19 that's coming up toward the end of the age. I plan on being there. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to miss my part at the table. And therefore, he is. she is the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. What, a, what kind of an idiot would walk up and, and, and abuse and hurl abuses and insults at somebody's bride? Not me. We need to treat things way differently because God's got a plan for all of this. And so the world's economy is based on negotiations. I'll negotiate with you. 
It's bargaining. It's giving to get something in return. And in one word, it's called works. But God's economy, when it comes to marriage and, and His church, God's economy is based on giving and receiving, giving with nothing in return if that's the case, and it's called grace. The third thing that you lay down is your right to privacy. I give you free access to every part of my, if I'm married to you, Gail and I, we got free access. Privacy is not, not a deal. You got free access to every part of my life. There's no secret side to me. In the beginning in Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Why is that? Because there's security. When you're open with one another and, and you don't, you know, you're not keeping part of your life as, a, as you know, this deep secret kind of a deal going on there, but you're open and, and there's no private parts that are, that are not uncovered between you and your wife. And I'm not just talking physically. I'm talking about, you know, everything in my life between you and your husband. If you're, if you're, if you're not going to share openly, then you're, you're, you're going to have certain parts of your life are going to be in darkness and, and it's where dar- darkness breeds some bad stuff. If you got some bad stuff in your marriage, it's probably because there's some darkness going on in your marriage, some things that are not exposed to the light. Get it out of the shadows. Get it out of the darkness. Go and see someone if you need to, to get it out so you don't end up killing each other when you do bring it out and shocking the, the life out of your partner. But, you know, there's a way for that. But but strive to get your marriage to where you don't, you don't have private private parts in your life, and you don't have things that you own and that you keep selfishly away from there, but these are things that you give up. One of the things that I really value about the Word of God is that it's if it wasn't profound, if it didn't absolutely blow reason away, I'd probably say it couldn't be the Word of God. When I first began reading the Bible, and that's how I got saved, in a hotel room, somebody gave me a Bible. I read that Bible. It was a living Bible. I thought, man, this is not of human origin. This is so far beyond that. And it shook my thinking to the core. It absolutely, you know, upseated my foundation. It rattled, rattled around there. And I'm like looking at reading this going, this is divine force. Sure, nobody could have made this up. This is this is re, this is amazing, and every time I read these scriptures about marriage and about one flesh and about the church and and this is a great mystery and and, and the fact that God takes two selfish people, puts them together, but not alone, but He's in there together with these two selfish people, and then He says this is going to be the opportunity of a lifetime for you to learn love. That's what marriage is. Marriage is probably the biggest opportunity that you're going to have in your whole life to learn to, to learn what love is. I would encourage you seize that opportunity. Look at those rights that you do need to lay down to become one flesh with that other person. Look at those rights not as getting ripped off or you've got to be kidding. Now I got to share my finances and my body and my you know responsibilities. See those rights as an opportunity, an opportunity to grow in your revelation of the love of God toward you because He's in every one of those scriptures, and your opportunity to nourish and cherish that person that you made a covenant vow with. I hope 
so that their best interest is your best interest. That you're not living for yourself and yourself alone. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.